Let's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning, Mosaic Church family, and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, it is, you know, every time, day after Christmas, there's a little fog, a little haze, figuratively, but actually today, literal, outside. Uh, and so, yeah, just encouraged uh, that you have joined us for worship as we sing uh, to, to proclaim the Lord's praises, to hear from God's word, and to celebrate uh, communion in the bread and the cup. I don't know about you, but um, most of us, our shared experience on Christmas morning is one of unmet longing. Uh, there is something unfulfilled on Christmas morning. It feels like we put so much time, money, effort, everything is planned to a T. If you have kids, you've got to think about what, what do they want? What, what should they want? What do they need? And slip in some kind of gift there. There's just so much involved in giving good gifts, in cooking good meals, and organizing time with family and making memories together. But at the end of it, we get to the end of it, which I hear time and time again and I experience in my own life, we get to the end of it and, and we, we're like, that's it? There's... There's like, where's the magic? There's something that we were expecting on Christmas morning that just doesn't deliver. And we often have talked a lot about this discipline in the Christian life that we must learn to leverage that unmet longing to look to the return of Jesus. And this is a discipline that we need. And we need that muscle to continue to meet our unmet uh, expectations, our unmet longings, our unmet uh, uh, hopes in this place, in this fallen, broken world, and, and direct those to the return of Jesus when he is making all things new. But I want to build on that today. I left last week, uh, I preached on Luke 2 and the story of the shepherds in a field and the angel comes and delivers a message. I left that week just reflecting on one word that I wanna talk about with you. And that one word is wonder. In Luke 2, verse 18, Luke tells us, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Wondered. I, I, it just stuck with me. And there was actually a, a painting that uh, I used as, as far as the, uh, I put it with the scripture reading and it was just a way to kind of like, hey, we got the kids with us for the first time, let's have pictures when we put up the scripture slides. And I, I've been into Christian art for a while uh, and I can't really explain why, but typically I have a, a piece of art that I'm just reflecting on for weeks at a time. I put it on my phone and just think about. And there's this painting, I think it should, should be back there, um, it's called The Adoration of the Shepherds by Gerard Van, uh, Gerard Van Hanthorst. Um, and it's actually up in a museum in Germany. And it's capturing this moment, this moment in time where the shepherds have come to the barn and they find the baby. And it says in verse 18 that everyone who heard what the shepherds were telling them wondered. And what I'd like to suggest this morning is that if Advent is teaching us to wait, Christmas morning is teaching us to wonder. 
And so I want to reflect on that with you as we look back to the passage that we looked at last week in Luke 2. And we'll read uh, 15 to 19, but just to set up the context, if you weren't here, the beginning of Luke 2, Luke tells us that Jesus was born. And he gives some historical facts, and he tells us that Jesus was born in a barn and placed in a manger. And he, he, he zooms out and pans out and goes to focus on a scene in just some regular, ordinary field. And we read about these nameless shepherds, and we talked about this reality that heaven cracks open and moves towards ordinary shepherds in an ordinary field. And Luke tells us that the angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds, and they freaked out. I mean, if an angel of the Lord showed up at your workplace and interrupted whatever you were doing, you'd freak out too, right? And the angel says, do not be afraid, for I bring you a message of good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This message was the message of salvation. This message was a sign that God had not forgotten his people. And we read that after they received this message from the angel, the heavens open, and these shepherds get a glimpse into the heavenly hosts, and they find the heavenly hosts praising God because God is bringing peace to the earth through the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to verse 15. So let's read four verses, Luke 2, 15 to 19. And at the end of it, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And this is a way that we invite each other to confirm that God has spoken, that God is trying to disrupt our worldly experience to try and bring heavenly truth into our lives that would change it and help us and nourish our hearts with the truths of Jesus. And so let's read Luke 2, verses 15 to 19. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would crack open this ceiling and bless our gathering with your presence. We need your help. We pray that you would quiet our little ones, that you would uh, turn up the volume in our minds and hearts and just awaken us to the realities that heaven is connected to what we are doing here in the earth you are not detached from what we're doing here in this moment, and I ask that you would bless it and consecrate it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I walked away last week asking this question. What does it mean to wonder? It would be easy for us to just skip right over that verse. It's a summary verse, and the word is, is kind of unfamiliar in, in, in our uh, vernacular, but what does it mean to wonder? And the painting, just like, it just, it was stuck in my head. There's this moment in time, and the painting is such a vivid example of the shepherds just wondering 
at the, the, the baby is, he's right there. And we've just received this message from heaven. Heaven cracked open and, and it's here, it's confirmed. What does it mean to wonder? The, the Greek word is, it's hard to convey with two English words, or with one English word. It's translated in the New Testament, wonder, astonished, marvel is one way that it's translated. It's challenging because it has, it has two layers, amazement and curiosity. Amazement is that shock and awe, that marveling. It's the surprise of what Jesus and God is up to in the world. And oftentimes, it's very easily turned into worship, but not always. It very quickly can turn into glorifying God, but it doesn't have to. Curiosity, reflection, imagination, it's this idea of seeing God do something and wondering, what is, what is he doing? What is he up to? How is this connected to all that I've been experiencing here to get to this moment in time, and what could it mean for the future? And we see this in the testimony of Mary in verse 19. Luke tells us, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She had heard from the angel that the shepherds had heard from, and she keeps hearing of all these things that people are saying about the baby that she's just given birth to, and she's wondering, could this be? Could God actually be up to something that would change the course of history? What does it mean if this is true? And this curiosity, it easily turns into hope, but it doesn't have to. And so to wonder is not, in a sense, worship and hope, but it's very, very close It's this shock, this amazement and curiosity, the two layers of this idea of what it means to wonder. And when Jesus is a baby and when he steps into his earthly ministry, this is a common word that is used throughout the New Testament of Jesus. It's a common response. He generated wonder everywhere he went. It's used 43 times in the New Testament and over half of the times It's used of people's response to the person of Jesus. Of his miraculous power is is probably the obvious one. In Luke 8, verse 25, we read about Jesus calming the storm. The disciples were freaked out in a boat. Jesus is sleeping, and he wakes up, and he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the storm, and the storm actually listens to the Son of God. And in Luke 8, 25, we read, and they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he command even winds and water and they obey him? In Matthew 15, we read about this kind of summary of Jesus' healing ministry and his power being demonstrated. And in verse 31, it says, so that the crowd wondered when they saw mute speaking, the crippled healthy the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. It's used of his lifestyle and his ministry. He shocks people. He he generates wonder. The woman at the well in John 4, 
The disciples leave to go get food, and Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, and the disciples return, and they say just then his disciples came back. They marveled at what he was doing because he was talking to a woman. In Luke 11, he confronts the religious leaders in his ministry, and in Luke 11, it says the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Everywhere he went, he generated wonder, amazement, curiosity. Who is this man? Of his teaching, he, he befuddles people. He shakes up everyone in the way that they've understood the things of God and the way of worship in Israel. And they try and catch him in Matthew 22, try and catch him in a debate of church and state against taxation. And Jesus says, therefore, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And when he unveils his identity in Luke 4, he reads Isaiah 61 and says, Today the scripture is fulfilled. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his great gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And so you see all throughout the ministry of Jesus, this amazement, he commands the word, he commands the storms, but then it's always met with curiosity. Who, I thought this was just Joseph's boy, but he's talking about being the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. Jesus' entire life generated wonder in those around him. Because a real encounter with the real Jesus is amazing. It's what we read about in the Gospels. And this is what we experience in our Christian life. That a real encounter with the real Jesus is amazing. It shocks us. It surprises us. You see it in the flow of the narrative. You have the shepherds in an ordinary field and the heavens crack open. And they receive this message and they go to find the fulfillment of that message, this sign that the angel gives them. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and heaven cracks open and they get, get a glimpse into the praise of what heaven is doing because of what God is doing on the earth. And we see this connection of heaven and earth And they go searching and they find the baby and are wondering at what God is up to. They are amazed because what they heard in a field that could have just been chalked up as like, like that wasn't real. You, maybe you ate something funny, you know, when you were home or you haven't slept in four days, you're hallucinating. But that was all pushed to the side when the message was confirmed in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph in a barn and a baby is lying in a manger. And they're shocked. What? This this is really true? We see this all over the New Testament, but we see it at Mosaic. When God answers a prayer and we're amazed wow, this works, right? There's just this amazement. Like, I I can't believe heaven just heard me and answered this prayer. 
We see it in, in, in miraculous healings. We pray for healing and people are healed. At Mosaic, that is happening. We come against the enemy in prayers for deliverance and it happens and God moves powerfully and we're amazed. Because heaven, the supernatural, is connected to the earth. It's connected to the natural world. And even those terms themselves, supernatural and natural, they, they are foreign to the Bible. The Bible would just say, this is God and his creation. There's nothing supernatural about what I'm doing in the world. It's the way it was meant to work. And a real encounter with Jesus, it's amazing, but it's also curious. It also generates questions. It also makes us step back and wonder, what could this mean? If God answered this prayer, what, what might he be doing with how he's answered this? If God moved powerfully there, he, he could move powerfully anywhere. And what we begin to see, when we really give ourselves to wonder, what we begin to see is that God is up to something in the world. And he's, he's involved in our lives, and he desires to continue to move and use and bless and shape because he is on a mission to bring light to the darkness and to use his people to be a demonstration and a witness that God has not forgotten sinners, that God has delivered sinners by the work of Jesus. But a real encounter with a real Jesus is curious. And we see this testimony in Mary. She treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them, reflecting, even as a baby, Jesus is generating curiosity because God is up to something through this child that we remember on Christmas morning. And you see how this could change Christmas morning because the, the message of Christmas morning is that God has not forgotten you. We at times forget him when we're planning gifts and we're trying to make food for Christmas, but he has not forgotten us. And he is moving toward us. And he is trying to open our eyes to take the blinders off that he is up to something and he wants to meet with us in a really significant, powerful way. Curiosity is the pursuit of truth. Curiosity is not the enemy of faith. It's actually the advocate for faith. And it's something that we want to recover because the response to a real encounter with the real Jesus is wonder. And we want that. But it begs the question, why is this so rare? Why have I never had a Christmas morning where I actually have experienced heaven coming down? Why is this so rare in my Christian life? This disconnect between what heaven is up to and what God is up to as he's moving to the earth through his people and the power of the spirit and in the person of Jesus. Why is this so foreign? We read the story, stories in Acts of how God moves powerfully, how many come to faith in a moment. We read about these stories. We hear stories from the mission field, how God is moving through dreams and visions 
and how he's moving in great power. And we wonder, why is this not a part of my experience? And we're tempted to think if we could just go back to when uh, the early church was around, then that would really be the magical time. Or if we go on the mission field, then we would actually experience the kind of things that people in the Bible experience. But no, we worship the same God, we have the same spirit, we have the same Bible, and God is trying to move towards us. He has moved towards us in the person of Jesus, but he's trying to open our eyes to the reality that he's trying to grab our attention in our lives. He wants to capture our imaginations on Christmas morning. He wants to shock us with ways that he might answer a prayer. But why is this so rare? Mike uh, Cosper wrote a book called Recapturing the Wonder. And he argues that there's something actually working against Christians in the Western world. We wonder, what, why is this so rare? Why is my Christmas morning just like flat? Why is my Christian life just, it's just, there's no power. There's no magic. There's something missing. He argues in his book that there's something working against Christians in the Western world. It's a mindset, a framework for life, and it functions like blinders on a racehorse. I don't know if you have ever seen, they, they put on racehorses these blinders that get them to focus just on what's in front of them. Hey, horse, I don't, I don't know if the jockeys talk to the horse, but um, maybe they do. They say, hey, horse, just don't worry about anything else. Don't get distracted. Just focus on what you've been bred to do. And Cosper talks about a mindset, this framework for life in the Western world, and he argues that we've been programmed and are being programmed to view the world based only on what we can see, what we can touch, and what we can experience, or what we can explain through reason. A naturalistic mindset that it, 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 it fills all Christians, non-Christians, everyone in the West, because it's reinforced through everything we do, how we talk to people. It's the air we breathe. And what this means is that our default mode is skepticism. Our default mode is skepticism. When we meet for coffee with someone and they tell us about a miraculous healing that they witnessed last week, our default mode is like, there's probably got to be a Excellent. Did they go to the doctor? Were they on some medication? And it's not that we don't get to faith, but it's that our reflex is skepticism. Or maybe you've had, I've had this experience before, but you'll talk to someone and they, they're like, I was really stressed in the parking lot and I had a lot going on in my life and I just couldn't find a parking spot and I prayed and a parking spot opened up. And it was just this like really sweet moment where God answered a prayer for me. I really needed it. My default mode in that, in that moment is like, is that really what happened? I don't know. That sounds like, is God really invested in every little thing that happens in your life? It's this mindset that is just the reflex is skepticism. And Cosper describes this mindset as the perspective that we live in is a disenchanted world, is language that's used. A disenchanted world. 
and he writes this, a disenchanted world has been drained of magic and of any supernatural presences of spirits and God and transcendence. A disenchanted world is a material world where, you, where what you see is what you get. And we don't necessarily intentionally buy into this mindset, but we're caught up in it. We're caught up in it. And what we learn is that followers of Jesus are trying to live out an enchanted faith in a disenchanted world. There is a conflict. The Christian faith is contesting that there is more than just what you see, what you touch, and what what you can explain. That there is this magical, enchanted world in heaven. And we come to a passage like Luke 10 and see God come down in an angel and meet with shepherds. And we're reminded again and again. It changes everything. It changes our view of God. In a disenchanted world, God is mechanical, detached, and weak. He's a God that, hey, I set things up. I think you'll be all right, but I'm not really involved in what's going on here. You've got to rely on the laws of, of nature. But in an enchanted world, God is creative, mysterious because of his greatness, transcendent and imminent at the same time, full of surprises and strong enough to give grace and mercy every morning. That's the God we worship. That's the God we know and want to know more and more and more. But every time we open our smartphone, every time we go to work, every time we talk to a neighbor, this disenchanted world is reinforced. Changes the way we view the Bible. In a disenchanted world, the Bible is a corpse to be dissected and studied. Cosper says, the text has no life on its own. It isn't a living whole, a breathing, fiery creature full of mystery. I love that. (laughs) Something to be approached with care and humility. It's a subject to be mastered, a corpse to be dissected. And what we can know about the Bible is just there. Nothing more. But in an enchanted world, the Bible is the voice of God. It's living truth that meets us freshly every time we open it up. And it's a book that is like a window into a different world. And we are meant to interact with it with our minds, but with our hearts, with our bodies, with our feelings. We're meant to interact with it in this whole body sort of way. So what can we do? What can we do to live a lifestyle that would set us up for a Christmas where we feel the work of heaven meeting us as we're opening presents as we're eating cinnamon rolls and quiche. That's what we had. What would it look like if we were aware to the realities of a magical world that is trying to grab our attention, of a God that is moving powerfully in ways we cannot explain? What can we do? We can prepare ourselves for wonder. 
We can't generate the amazement. We can't generate those moments, but we can prepare ourselves for wonder. We can prepare ourselves to be amazed and to move towards a Christmas morning, to move towards a Monday morning, recognizing God could surprise me today. I actually hope he does. I'm going to pray that he does, and I'm going to watch and look. I'm going to be on the lookout. We want to be honest about our own skepticism. We want to maintain the tension of living out an enchanted faith, a supernatural faith, a faith that's connected to what's happening. And even here, like when we worship, do we really believe that there is a real place in heaven where Jesus is enthroned and that he wants to dump on us? He wants to awaken our minds, our imaginations, that he's up to something in Richardson. He's up to something at Mosaic in our kids' lives and in our marriages and in our friendships and in our neighborhoods. That's what we want to believe. We want to prepare ourselves for wonder. And this painting, I'm telling you, it just, it captures that reality of wonder, the adoration of the shepherds. And it's, it's fascinating. If you study the painting, I, you can't really see it back there, but Google it. Adoration of the Shepherds by Gerard Van Hornthert. I, I, I'm just not even going to go off memory. But the, the whole lighting in the painting is it's emanating from the baby. And you, the people's faces are lit up by this child. And the, the shepherds, they have all these like, e- expressions on their face like, whoa. And one guy's like this. It's this idea of being shook, of being awakened, being shocked. God. And the painting just is, is a great demonstration of how God has sent Jesus, the light of the world, to awaken a dark place. And the message of Christmas is clear, that God has not forgotten you, that God has moved towards you in the gift of Jesus Christ. And we want to confirm that. We want to cultivate and remember and realize that gift as we prepare ourselves for wonder. And be a people that are growing in living out an enchanted faith in a disenchanted world. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for this moment this last moment in this space, we treasure the days that we have worshiped here and celebrate that you've, you've done stuff in this place. You've answered prayers as we've gathered here. You've moved powerfully towards us. And I just pray that as we leave from here, would you, would you open our eyes a little bit more? Would you help us just like rip off those blinders and be a people that are awake to the power of God on the earth and in our lives. And we trust you to do that more and more tomorrow, this week, and this year. We love you and we trust you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're gonna move into a time of celebrating communion. And so if you wanna stand and uh, begin opening the elements, this is a meal that Jesus established in his earthly ministry. 
And uh, he actually disrupted a meal that the Jews had been celebrating for years and years and years, the meal of the Passover. And he, he disrupts this meal, and he introduces the meal of the new covenant. And this meal we celebrate every week, it's just a wafer and a cup of juice. And we do it every week because we believe God has commanded us to do it, but we do it every week because it is such a great way that we can begin to come to grips with a material thing is trying to push us and invite us into a heavenly reality. And every time we celebrate it, we are trying, we are literally pulling heaven into our existence on the earth. And our hope is that it would shape all of our life. And so on the night when Jesus was betrayed by one of his friends, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. Let's eat this together and remember the body of Jesus. And then he held up a cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. And as often as we drink it as God's people, we remember the, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. The cup of the new covenant, let's drink this together. And Paul says in one of his letters that for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup together with God's people, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we proclaim the death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins this morning as a church and we look to the return of Christ where he will set all things right and meet us.